Toronto Blue Jays take three of four from the Detroit Tigers and keep rolling. They've won 12 of their last 15, and it is officially nothing else besides trade deadline season. Hello and welcome to episode 218, section 138. I'm your host, Mark Hawley. As always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? It's good to be back, Mark. And of course, throughout this stretch, the Jays continue to play their best baseball pretty much, I guess, at the season thus far. After that abysmal road trip a few weeks ago, uh, the Jays, since I believe that last game in Seattle, I believe they're 12-3 and three or something along the lines of that. So they've really turned things around quick. And uh, this team's having a lot of fun right now. They're in a good spot. And of course, another good weekend taking three out of four from the Tigers. Yeah, having a lot of fun, I think, puts it is a bit of an understatement because we all know what's going on pretty much right now as we record this. I think the Jays are supposed to be landing in Florida right around now and they're having a joint house party between George Springer's backyard and Jose Barrios's backyard and we know that they got all dressed up as I guess it was beachwear was the theme for the flight and now for the party uh, I think Ross Stripling stole the show he was wearing um, he had sunscreen on his nose and was shirtless and was wearing a uh, inflatable something around his waist so that was uh, I think the best costume that we saw but Jacob how are you? You know what? I think Mark and I, we discussed this last episode, but this team, it needed to go on a run. And more importantly, some of your starting pitchers in Yusei Kikuchi and Jose Barrios, they needed to turn things around. To some extent, they've done that. They're now going into the trade deadline. They have one more game. Well, actually, they have no more games. They have one more game on the day of the trade deadline. But this team is looking a lot better than it did, you know, a couple weeks ago, even, you know, one series ago. And we all predicted it, 3 out of 4 against the Tigers. This is the perfect scenario, or, you know, nearly the perfect scenario, and now you're going to that trade deadline looking to build on that, and hopefully th- this team is going to go on a huge run in, o- in August. Yeah, the next time we see the Blue Jays take the field will be after the trade deadline, about an hour after the trade deadline, which is set for Tuesday, 6 p.m. Um, we could see a lot happening, and I guess let's just start there. I know we are going to talk about what happened in this series and what went on and of course the Blue Jays taking three or four from the Tigers but what everyone's minds are on right now is the trade deadline I think it's easy to say um, I don't think many people would disagree with this but the Blue Jays over the last two weeks have proven to the front office that they need to make big moves because what we saw from this team in the two weeks prior the series in Oakland the series in Seattle um, that was an indication of a team that was struggling a team that was going south fast a team like kind of like the Boston Red Sox now who is not going to be competitive down the line but what they've proven over the last two weeks is that they can legitimately contend and over a stretch of 15 games outplay the Yankees and gain ground in the AL East and put up big numbers in the AL wildcard race so what they've done is they've really proven that the front office needs to make a big move and we're already seeing Some teams around baseball finally getting things going. We know it's been relatively quiet in terms of trades happening. I think a lot of teams are just waiting to see what happens with Juan Soto. And 
once he gets traded or the Nationals definitively say we are not going to trade him, then we're going to see a kind of cascade, a waterfall, the dam being broken, and trades going everywhere. But I think until then, it's going to stay relatively quiet. But since the last time we spoke, and since we spoke about the Andrew Benintendi deal going to the Yankees, Luis Castillo is kind of the first big domino besides Benintendi to fall on the trade market. He's going to the Seattle Mariners for three prospects, and not just any three prospects, the three of their top five prospects in their system. So a big deal from the Mariners getting it done and obviously trying to give the Jays and other teams a run for the money in the wild card race. Um, we've also seen the Blue Jays involved with Frankie Montas. That is, I think, the biggest name that they've been connected to so far. We know the Ian Happ stuff. We've talked about that. But Frankie Montas seems like who they are closest to right now. We heard from John Morosi that they are one of three teams that are focused in on Frankie Montas and I think the other two were the Yankees and Cardinals if I'm not mistaken so that's kind of the situation as things stand now knowing that they are going to change a lot over the next 48 hours um, let's start with the Castillo deal in my mind it kind of forces the Blue Jays to hand you see the Mariners making a move like that taking advantage of a trade market where really no one else has made a move. And we know Jerry Depoto, GM of the Seattle Mariners, is a guy who is as aggressive as anyone in baseball. Maybe A.J. Hinch, um, or excuse me, not A.J. Hinch, A.J. Preller, GM of the Padres, aside, the most aggressive GM in baseball. Um, he's putting the Blue Jays and the rest of the teams in the wildcard race on notice, saying, you got to make a move, we're improving. If you want to match us, you need to fork over prospects as well. And I think that's what the Blue Jays have been told and have learned this weekend. And hopefully we'll see it unfold over the next few days. Well, first of all, he's telling the Blue Jays they need to improve. But he's also telling the Blue Jays and really all of Major League Baseball what he they need to give up in order to get any type of top-level players. Because it was... It was a lot, I think, for, for Castillo, and justifiably so. Obviously, you're not going to give up a guy for nothing, especially if you are a team that's trying to rebuild, trying to gain prospects, but what I thought was very, very noteworthy, you heard Buck Martinez and Dan Schulman, I think it was maybe the fourth or fifth inning of today's game, they said that the Blue Jays gave up less for Jose Barrios than the Mariners gave up for Castillo, and it's it's not really a market where you can now give up you know, a couple prospects or or a couple prospects in a major league player for, you know, top level players. And if you're the Blue Jays, you're sitting here, you're thinking, okay, well, we could use a starter. I know Castillo is the type of guy who, especially with Montas, kind of under contract for next season, could be of use or would be of use for this season and next season. But if you're looking to get somebody like that, you can't really give up mid-level prospects or no major league talent or maybe mid-level plus lower level major league talent it's something where you now need to go out and give up higher level talent, higher level players in order to get that. And the one thing that I'm a little nervous about is the Blue Jays might say, okay, we're going to give up a lot for a starter like Frankie Montas, who would be a good player. Absolutely would definitely benefit this team down the stretch. And especially if you have, I don't know, maybe four or five, I guess now they have four straight starters that you can 100% rely on to some extent with Ross Stripling, but you have three to four guys that you can rely on you then add Frankie Montas, would the margin of improvement be as great as if you were to go and get, I don't know, a reliever or an outfielder or some any type of other position player? And that's where I'm a little nervous is because you don't want to give up 
too much in order to get a starter or any position when really you could improve elsewhere on this team. But it's I think it's going to get very, very hectic over the next couple of days is now we're recording Sunday night. I think Monday and Tuesday, especially Tuesday going into 6 p.m., it's going to be crazy as these teams are they're they're realizing that you cannot just give up a little bit in order to get a lot. I mean, obviously, it makes sense. You have to give up a lot to get a lot, but we're not really in that previous couple of seasons of baseball or even really the last era of baseball where you can give up a little bit, maybe, you know, major league talent in order to get some type of high level starter or really any type of position. We're now in that position where if you want a lot now, you have to sacrifice more than maybe you were expecting to give up. And if you're the Blue Jays, the thing is, is I think they have that. You could give up minor league talent. We've heard Gabriel Moreno, Jordan Groshans, those names have been discussed. Even go back to the, the Francisco Lindor, the Juan Soto trades. I'm not lacking confidence that the Blue Jays could make a trade for a elite player. I just don't know if you go out and get a starter and consider that the best thing that you do for this trade deadline because it could help, but realistically, if you're in the playoffs, I don't know if you need more than four dominant starters. It could help, absolutely, but do you really need... Say you're in the, you know, say you're in the World Series. I know I predicted that far too many times, but say you're in the World Series and you, it goes seven games, it goes the max. Do you really need to give up a ton for maybe one start, maybe at most two starts for a starting pitcher? I think it might make more sense to go and get a reliever, position player, something like that. But it's definitely, it's one of those situations where the Blue Jays will benefit from getting a starter, but I think. Now that the market and the precedent has been set, you kind of have to look at, okay, how else can we improve this team without breaking the bank? Because it doesn't make sense to me to go out and get a top-level starter, knowing that that's not necessarily the weakness of your team at the cost of potentially your future or potentially players that are more of a benefit right now. But it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really ridiculous and, and crazy next couple of days because as teams are realizing, like, yeah, you you now actually have more of a chance than you've expected to with these expanded playoffs. And the Mariners, even the Orioles, I think they're, what, now three games out of a playoff spot? Like, this playoff race is going to get nasty. And teams over the next couple days or next couple hours, really, they're going to be making a lot of moves. And I think the Blue Jays, if they can consider this trade deadline a success, don't break the bank on a position that isn't requiring you to break the bank. Like, go and get maybe a reliever or some type of to a lesser extent position player in order to to beat these teams like you don't need to go get a top level player in any position I think you just need to go and address the team's needs and then we'll go from there it'll be an interesting one and um, I found the Luis Castillo trade very interesting Um, it just first of all you know the price they gave up obviously it was a lot Uh, Marky went over it and quite frankly I I don't it's hard to See, I understand that a lot of people can criticize the Seattle Mariners for doing that, but in my opinion for their, what they gave up for somebody like Luis Castillo, I give them credit for doing that because if they weren't going to do it, then guess what team Luis Castillo would be on probably in a couple days? It'd be probably be a Yankee, and then, of course, the same thing over and over again with the same teams getting the same players like that. So I'm fine with the Seattle Mariners giving up what they gave up for that. You know, I don't know, like, it, I guess... It, in a way, it sets a precedent. But at the end of the day, teams have to get rid of these guys by 6 p.m. on Tuesday anyway. So if 
it it all depends on how teams, I guess, negotiate back and forth. But you know, I I don't really look at that and kind of get concerned at other things that are out there for this team. I agree with you in a sense that I think relievers or the bullpen should obviously be one of the main areas of focus maybe over the starting pitching. But, of course, that's something that I'm sure they're going to entertain throughout the rest of the weekend and and kind of see um, until, I guess, right at that point if they're going to make a move for another starter or not. Because we all know what pretty much the rotation has been this year outside of, you know, Alec Manoa and Kevin Gosselin, who have been your best two. And, of course, Ross Stripling's been there. He's been giving you innings. Uh, Jose Brios is another guy who you need a big second half from. He just finished July with an ERA of three. So that is, I guess, encouraging at, in one way because that was a lot. Or in general, just the month of July for Brios was a lot better. And, of course, he ended it off today on the Sunday game uh, on a really good note. So that's really, I guess, encouraging there. If you can figure out Yusei Kikuchi for the rest of the way as well, kind of I guess, pitched similarly to what he did uh, this past series. Of course, his first start back from the I.L. I think you're fine with that as well. So if you can kind of figure those two guys out at the back end of your rotation, you might be in a good spot. And it all depends with another starting pitcher. You know, Ross Stripling's a guy that can go back and forth from the bullpen. We've talked about this. If there's a room for them to get a starting pitcher, I wouldn't be surprised if they did it. But of course, Ross Stripling has been, you know, I guess he just deserves a lot more credit than... Um, I, I don't think he's been getting enough credit is what I'm trying to say because of the fact that he's been holding the fort down in the starting rotation um, because of guys like Barrios and Kikuchi who have been up and down. We've spoken about that this season already a few times. Mark, I know you want to talk about him a little bit later on as well. So that's one kind of player that, you know, because of his flexibility, you can always entertain the possibility of getting another starter. It depends on, you know, with Frankie Montas, I think the Yankees are another team who are going after him. So it's going to be kind of, um, and of course the Cardinals are the, the third team who, of course, based on the latest report today, I guess it should suggest that what the market currently is for Montas. So it'll be interesting for that one. And of course, for bullpen help, I think that remains obviously, that's like obviously an automatic. You know, for example, you look at this weekend with the Detroit Tigers, they have an amazing bullpen despite their record this season. You go back to the Friday game when they beat the Blue Jays, it just later on in the game when the Jays were trying to tie the game. It just didn't, you know, there was no signs of life from this team offensively because of how good um, those guys are. And I'm talking guys like Andrew Chafin, Michael Fulmer, Joe Jimenez. There's a lot of arms in that bullpen that could definitely be expendable uh, for the Detroit Tigers. And I mean, firsthand giving, I guess, the Blue Jays front office a showcase this weekend. It'll be, you know, there's a lot of names out there that the Jays can go for in terms of that. But the Detroit Tigers, despite their record once again, have been a team who have had a very dominant bullpen, who have velocity, who have what the Jays are missing. So it's going to happen at any point on Tuesday in terms of bullpen help. It's going to come from any, I guess, all sorts. And then, of course, position players. That also remains something. And I wanted to ask you guys this one because I think there's been chatter about this. And I think it's definitely kind of given me more of an indication that we need or the Jays also do need to get a position player for certain reasons. I know you guys brought up Ian Happ uh, the last episode. And of course, Ian Happ's been a name that has been, I guess, just involved with the Blue Jays pretty much all season. Of course, the latest report from John Heyman, Mark, you were talking about it earlier on. He's got a pretty strong market by the sounds of it right now, but he would definitely be a good fit for this team. And the one question I want to ask you guys too, which is what I was about to say was that, you know, George Springer is a, I guess, a name of conversation right now because of the elbow injury that he's been dealing with, because of the nagging, just just the nagging injuries that he's been dealing with all season in general. But majority, of course, is that elbow issue that he's been dealing with. You saw this weekend, he had a couple days off and another day off today on the Sunday game. Would it suggest that if George Springer is going to, you know, 
or take more time off throughout the second half. Or I shouldn't say time off, but just more like the team managing his workload a little bit more cautiously than they did in the first half. Would you not feel more comfortable going out and getting another position player so you can try and fill that void the best you can throughout the rest of the way? I think that's something that's also come up uh, throughout this, the last weekend because of the, just the injury that he, he dealt with. You saw it on Friday when he left the game. Um, he just, he looked to be, or the last game when he left the game earlier, he just seemed to be in discomfort after diving for one baller on the game, making a couple other throws from right field. Um, even his last at bat of the game, when he flew out after he swung, he just was an immediate discomfort. So this is something that has been nagging all season. He re aggravated it this past weekend. Getting another position player would definitely help you, I think, manage his workload the rest of the way rather than sending out, you know, as much as Rymel Tapia has been a very good player for this team, sending out guys like Tapia and maybe, you know, trying to avoid giving Bradley Zimmer as many at-bats as you can, getting a different position player so you are in a better position for that. So I think that's another area to focus on for that. But, of course, the highlight, of course, remains the same, which I agree with you on that one, Jacob, is that bullpen arms is something that is a must right now. I think the Springer... I guess you can call it injury, kind of him just being worn down, is a big factor into why the Blue Jays are pursuing someone like Ian Happ right now. Because on the face of it, it doesn't make sense when you have four guys who are, at worst, competent, at best, all-stars in the outfield who can play there every day. Where do you put in someone like Ian Happ? Why would you try to acquire someone like that who doesn't really fit into the team? Besides from the fact that he is a switch hitter. Like, that's the only thing, if you look at it from that perspective, of why the Blue Jays would be pursuing him. But when you factor in the Springer injury and the fact that the Blue Jays are kind of already being very cautious with him, but I think as we progress down the stretch, they get they may get even more cautious just because of what we've seen in the first half. When you factor that in, it makes a lot of sense why the Blue Jays would be looking at someone like Ian Happ. And, you know, I think... Whether it gets to this point or not, I don't know. But right now, I feel like if the Blue Jays had a better replacement for Springer, Springer would be on the 10-day IL right now. If they had someone who could sub in and play every single day, or I know they have Raymil Tapia in the mix, but someone behind Raymil Tapia better than Bradley Zimmer, I feel like George Springer would be on the IL right now just to fully recover because he's obviously not himself. Bryson, you talk about the moments in the outfield and stuff. The moment that sticks out to me is when I think it was a sack fly from, I want to say it was Bo Bichette in, I think it was yesterday's game, Saturday. Um, George Springer dove in at home and just kind of laid on the ground for maybe five or eight seconds. It wasn't a lot and it didn't look like he was in pain, but this kind of is reminiscent of what we saw last year with the knee thing. Every single thing you see that has to do with George Springer's knee, you just wince a little bit and pray until you see that he's okay. And I think it's becoming the same thing with the elbow and that moment is what stood out to me. And then there's also the moment in the dugout when someone knocked his arm and he kind of winced and it's just not pretty. And I think if the Blue Jays had their choice right now, if they had enough depth behind him, they would be placing him on the IL. And I think they want to get Ian Happ because of that. So I think it makes a lot more sense than it did maybe two to three weeks ago before this became a big issue. Well, one thing that is also very uh, notable to consider is this team is not able to benefit from that non-waiver trade deadline. And we saw this in, in seasons past. I think it was maybe 2015, the Blue Jays ended up getting Darwin Barney like way later after the trade deadline. 
you do not have that same benefit this season. And whoever you have on this roster at 6 p.m. on Tuesday, that's it. And if you're the Blue Jays, I think you absolutely need to consider, I don't know, some type of infield or outfield or some type of position player because, unfortunately, this outfield, it's to some extent considered, I mean, I would consider it when it's healthy elite, but you're looking at guys like Lourdes Gurriel Jr., good season out of him, absolutely, but you look at George Springer, the health is concerning again, and the last thing you want to do is go down the stretch and in late August, in September, when you you need to win games, and he's not available, Teoscar Hernandez has looked quite good, you know, he's got a lot of clutch home runs, even that one on, I think, the Friday game, or the Saturday game, that's definitely helping this team, but we're kind of at that situation where what happens if somebody's out long-term, and we saw that happen earlier in the season, although it wasn't necessarily fully long-term, but even last season, nobody expected Randall Gritchick to play as much as he did last season, and to some extent, the offense wasn't as good as it as it could have been, although throw in 40 home runs out of Marcus Simeon or whatever it was, 42-43, like that obviously is going to change things. But this this team, as much as I want to say that it needs to improve in the bullpen, and to be honest, that's all I really think it needs. Like if, if you go status quo, maybe rest Springer a few more days, hopefully DH him, although that doesn't really help with the elbow because he's going to swing. But if you're able to to go status quo, get him healthy. All I think you needed to do is go and get some type of of really relief pitcher because think of it last season. I think it was Gerard Dyson. Like they have the speed in the outfield. It's not like they need those defensive replacements. It's just they need to get fully healthy and they need to get those relievers in because without that, it unfortunately, this team just straight up is not as good. And even... I think we saw it this season, especially, or really like this last week with guys like Max Castillo going down to the minors, not because he's not performing well, but just because of that's how relievers are dealt with these days. Like you need extra options and really coming back down to the playoff race and in the playoffs, you need those options in the game. And if I I think that still is the key that this team needs to go out and acquire in that position, at least you need to go out and get starters or I mean, you can look at starters, but you can you need to primarily get relievers. And if you're in that situation where you're focusing more on the outfield or some type of position player because you're worried about the outfield or any of that area of the team, then I think the focus could be a little bit... Uh, it could be derailed a little bit, if, if that makes any sense. And you hope that guys like Springer are able to, to turn things around and, and keep healthy because if... If that is what the need of this team is right now, then we might see a little bit of a lackluster deadline. So, sorry, I'm just trying to piece together what <laughs> your position is. The Blue Jays should prioritize getting relief pitching and not go out of their way to get anyone else? Well, I think that's the biggest need of this team. Like, if you desperately think that an outfielder... Say outfielder. We'll okay. call it outfielder. Yeah. Say you, you need an outfielder. It makes sense, but I don't want to see them break the bank or focus too much on that when realistically the big need of this team is the later innings of the game or middle to later inning of the game. I disagree. Um, I think if you... So let's reverse engineer it. We want the Blue Jays to win a World Series this year. What do they need to do to win a World Series? Right now, with the way the playoffs are structured, they're going to need to, first off, make it to the playoffs, which is they are on track to do at this point. They need to beat whoever the wild card team is. 
It's most likely going to be some sort of combination of the Mariners or, you know, the Red Sox are still in the mix. The Orioles are in the mix there. The Rays are in the mix there. The Guardians are in the mix there. I think the Blue Jays, if they are hosting, have a legitimate shot of beating all those teams. So you don't need to improve at this point to beat those teams. Then you go into the division series. You need to beat whoever's playing in the division series. Right now, it looks like it's going to be the Yankees. Right now, the Blue Jays are not good enough to beat the Yankees. And I think they have to do a lot to be good enough to beat the Yankees. And that's why I want to see the Blue Jays go out and get Ian Happ and get Frankie Montas and get Scott Barlow or Gregory Soto or whoever it is in the bullpen. Because in order for them to get to the World Series or even to get to the Championship Series and beat the Yankees, beat the Astros or whoever it is in the championship series and beat whoever it is in the world series, they need to improve and they need to improve dramatically. It's not improving the bullpen and then they'll be good enough to beat the Yankees. It'll get them to playoffs. And yeah, maybe they're the second best team in the entire playoffs behind only the Yankees, but they're still going to run into the Yankees. So they need to be able to beat them in order to get to the world series. So that's kind of where I stand on the level of aggressiveness for the Blue Jays because, yeah, they're going to be one of the best teams, I think, if they get relief pitching, but one of the best is also the Yankees, and the Yankees are better than them. So they need to drastically improve their team to be better than the Yankees, I think. 100%. I'm with you on this one as well because of the fact that you're not... That's the key thing is that you're not just you know, a few thing, little things away from taking that. You you need a few, th- or you need more than one trade. You need probably quite a different, uh, you know, in terms of just getting relievers, you need more than one relief trade. And that's just talking about relievers. And that I was, that's why I mentioned the Ian Happ thing of, or of course, you guys mentioned it, of course, the last episode, but I mentioned it kind of in correlation with the George Springer injury. You need more flexibility on that part. And I think the other thing is is the one thing that we didn't have with this team a week ago, or I should say two weeks ago, when they went through their little, I guess their their last tough stretch throughout that road trip, is that the good baseball that they've played coming off of that and just going on that 12-3 and three run, getting, I guess, just recovering from that road trip. They're sh- not only showing the front off, or they are showing the front office that, hey, you need to go out and go- get more people because if you do, then then you're capable of taking runs at these teams. And I think that's important. This is a team that has world or had World Series expectations coming into the year. You have to be aggressive. I completely agree with you on that, especially because of where the team currently is. If this team currently was struggling like they were a couple weeks ago, maybe a little bit of a different opinion. But the fact that they went on this run over this last homestand and they've shown that they are capable of this, of course, and they're slowly, we think, are putting everything together finally now for the stretch run of the season. You need help, and that's why if you're going to get a starting pitcher, you have to entertain that. I completely agree with you on that. Bullpen arms, that's been a must for months now. And position players, if you want assurance from a George Springer I. Elston, or if that's something that maybe it's in the cards if you get an Ian Happ, you have to. You want George Springer playing for this team in October. You want everyone to be as healthy as you can be. I think getting these guys is going to get you and put you in a much better direction. And, of course, what you were talking about, the goal is obviously to get to the playoffs. That's a must. And, of course, from there, you want to go on a run. And I think step one is obviously getting into the playoffs. But other than that, you want to win a World Series. You want to take a run at teams like the Yankees. Right now, it's just not enough. And that's why this pet or this upcoming Tuesday, moves will be made. We just don't know when exactly up until that point, but moves will be made. And it's pretty easy to assume it's going to be more than one move. 
They need a couple of moves at least to, I guess, position themselves in a much better position. And if you have to spend a little bit, then you have to spend a little bit. If that means giving up Gabriel Moreno in one trade, guess what? You have to entertain doing that because this is a team that's trying to win a World Series or at least get to that point. And I think to make your team better, you have to entertain these options and you, you, you got to be aggressive. Jacob, did you want to respond to that or no? Given that we just like ripped you apart. No, I mean, like you have a point. It's just the way I see it is if, if George Springer goes on the IL, that's obviously then that completely shatters my whole point. But I think the thing is, is with this team, I'm not saying they can't make other moves, but if your big move is not the bullpen or at least not not in the pitching side of things, then I, I don't know if you can fully consider this to be a, a good trade deadline. Like You can obviously go and acquire Ian Happ or any type of outfielder, but the last thing that I want to see is this team have needs and then not go and necessarily target those needs because they anticipate or project that something's going to happen somewhere else. Okay. Well, agree to disagree. On that count, um, that's a trade deadline, and obviously that's what all of our attention is focused on. We're going to be recording again as soon as the deadline passes, Tuesday, 6 p.m., we're going to be hopping on, recording, and getting our thoughts in on whatever the Blue Jays do, whether it is a lot, whether it is a little, whether it is nothing at all, because that is still a possibility as we stand at this point 48 hours away. Um Let's talk about some of the other stuff that went on. Of course, the Blue Jays winning three of four against Detroit. Um, I guess let's start with the pitching because that was the big story heading into this series. It was whether Yusei Kikuchi could come off the injured list and have a good start. And he did. I mean, he went five. I was predicting him to go 2.2, six earned. And he ended up going five innings. He gave up one run, I think. So a lot stronger than I anticipated. And I think... Um, because of that, it the Blue Jays' need for a starting pitcher at least appears on the face of it to be less dramatic than it was. But at the same time, I still think they need a starter, Frankie Montas, etc., etc. But that start was very encouraging to see Yusei Kikuchi go out there and perform, even if it is against a team that's the worst offensive team in all of baseball. Well, you know what? At the end of the day, this team needed a big performance out of Yusei Kikuchi, and they got a big performance out of Yusei Kikuchi. And at the end of the day, only five innings like you mentioned, but if you're able to at least lessen the blow of what other teams will demand out of you, then you have to consider that to be a success. And I don't know. I think I'm more sided towards, and you guys can disagree with this, but I'm more sided towards what I said earlier in the episode in that I don't know if a starter is what necessarily this team needs in order to improve. And it could improve, absolutely. Like You look at maybe 2015-16, the, the rotation was obviously good. They improved it. But I think the key here is that this team, in having the good starts that they did over this weekend, and you know, obviously Kikuchi with those five innings that were you know, a lot better than I think a lot of people expected. And I think Mark and I, we talked about this. I think you expected him to go like two innings, and I said five. But it was a lot better than a lot of people expected. And then Alec Manoa, obviously only the five and a third, not the greatest start, but you're not really worried about Alec Manoa. And then even the same thing with the, uh, the Saturday game, you look at, you know, Ross Stripling again, four and a third, not, I mean, you got what you expected out of, out of Ross Stripling. And then even today, Jose Barrios, another good start. And the key here is that this team they don't want to break the the bank over starting pitchers, and they're able to do that by not having those starting pitchers falter 
against quite a bad team. And whether it's a good team, whether it's a bad team, at the end of the day, this team needed good performances out of their pitchers. And to some extent, or to, to quite a high extent, they got that. And now this going into the trade deadline, maybe they're not as concerned about a starting pitcher. Even, even though Yusei Kikuchi had a good start against a terrible team, you could expect that to be something to build off of. And I, I think we mentioned this in the last episode, but Kikuchi said that during his rehab starts, he kind of reworked his release point. He said it was all over the place going into the injury and then everything, and he really worked on that. And I think he'll likely start potentially against the Rays or the Twins, probably the Rays, I think, maybe in that series finale or the starting game against the Twins. You're kind of at the point now where even, so it's after the trade deadline, but even now I think you're a lot more confident in that and you're not as nervous about, oh, if we don't go out and acquire a starting pitcher, we're doomed or we're potentially doomed. That's really all that I think that this team got out of that weekend. Like obviously, you take three out of four. That's going to benefit your record. Teoscar Hernandez with that big home run to kind of avoid that sweep. In terms of a position perspective, this this team benefited from the the weekend. But even just behind the scenes, the fact that they didn't fall three or four or two or four to the D- Detroit Tigers, and part of that is because of how good their starting pitchers were. That's something that you have to consider to be just a massive win for this team and going forward you know they do have that off day I'm sure it's going to be a very interesting off day and then a a very interesting start to that first day of the or the last day of the trade deadline but I think if you're Ross Atkins you can at least rest a lot easier knowing that your starting pitchers or at least the ones that you consider to be a bit of a coin flip are looking a lot better than what you expected absolutely and um Yusei Kikuchi was the one who you know you come probably in terms of obviously the expectations, least amount of expectations coming in. I mean, you heard Mark, your prediction about two and two thirds about that. So thank God that was not the case, but he definitely, I mean, he looked good. The The problem with Yusei Kikuchi this year has been when we say he looks good, he'll go out in five days and then look like a disaster. And then we're back to square one in terms of what's he doing? He's not throwing enough fastballs. He's throwing too much cutters in terms of, and then I think slider grip was something that was corrected or something like that throughout his last IL stint on his way back. So whatever he was supposed to fix, that's great. It's got to stay now intact, hopefully throughout the rest of the season on that. If you can get five innings out of Yusei Kikuchi, that's something I've been saying since April. That's a complete win any day of the week. That's completely fine with me. He looked comfortable on Thursday, and that was obviously important on that one. With Alec Mano on the Friday, uh, we obviously he took the comeback took the comebacker off of his elbow, and he left the start early. Uh, it appears he's fine, and he's going to be able to pitch the next outing. So it's just very rare to see Alec Mano, I guess, give up you know three or four in runs in a start. We saw it earlier with against or one time this year against the Yankees where he did that, and of course this was obviously the latest time where he just. I don't know if he wasn't comfortable, he just wasn't sharp, or, you know, a lot of people have also talked about, you know, his innings in terms of maybe his workload for somebody in a second season. I don't know what truly is going on behind the scenes with him on that one, but that was just obviously a rare miscue from him on that, and I guess the one takeaway from that, or the main takeaway, is that he's going to be all right after taking off, or pretty much getting that comebacker off of his elbow, so that's a good, that's good from that, and of course, in the Saturday game as well, um, you're completely fine with what Ross Stripling came or gave you in terms of four innings. Like I said earlier on, no matter what the Jays have done with him in terms of a swing man coming out of the bullpen, giving you one or two innings, giving you four innings, sometimes getting up to five or six innings, 
he's been very flexible with that, and he puts obviously the team in a very good position when he's been pitching well, and he's been pitching well for majority of the year, uh, pretty much to begin with. So you're fine with him on that one, and he's been a guy that has been very reliable. And again, he's been somebody who, if it wasn't for him succeeding as much as he has in terms of, and then of course you have the Barrios and the Kikuchi, you know, I guess up and down season from them. This rotation would definitely have been in a much more of a, a darker spot, and of course something in terms of more of a area of need. And you know, going to your think or your opinion, Jacob, that getting a starter would obviously be even more important if that was if somebody like Ross Stripling wasn't pitching that well. So now you go into today's start with Ho- Jose Barrios. I said it earlier on. Finishes July with an ERA of three. Pitched really well today. He was very dominant despite. I guess the first inning, or he had a really, or one thing I'll mention is that he had a very interesting at-bat with his brother-in-law, uh, Javier Baez, in the first inning. I mean, I'm sure you guys saw it in terms of all the, the foul balls and ter- all the way up to the fifth deck, and just, you know, Baez thinking that was ball four on ball three. It was just a very bizarre at-bat. But other than that, and obviously other than the home run he gave up to him later on in the game, he looked really well through seven innings. And this is something that you want to, or you want Barrios to continue to roll into August and September, getting back to what we saw from him in terms of last year. I mean, he finishes his start now. His ERA is back below five. You want him to continue to work at it, being consistent. And I think that's also a really big deciding factor for this rotation down the stretch is if you can get Barrios pitching well. So, all in all, I think a pretty good weekend from the starting pitching. Of course, a couple hiccups here and there with Alec Manoa, but of course, no one's really concerned about that long term. And um, you have a very, I guess, important two-game series coming up with Tampa Bay. Like you mentioned, Jacob, Kevin Gosman's going to start game one, and it's believed it's Yusei Kikuchi starting game two. So we'll see what happens with that. But the starting rotation could also maybe look different on Tuesday or in terms of the uh, the roster on that one. So, I mean, that's obviously set in stone right now. It can change, or maybe it doesn't change in that upcoming Tampa series. Maybe later on, in terms of the Twin series, it changes a bit. But we'll see on that one. But throughout the uh, the course of this weekend, I definitely was impressed with I, with with uh, what I saw. And of course, with Jose Barrios, I think that was definitely my main highlight. Is that he continues to get back to what he was at last year, and I think that's very important for this team moving forward. Yeah, definitely encouraging the performance we saw from everyone. And I do want to talk about Ross Stripling, because this is something that is we, I know we're still at the trade deadline, but it's going to become a conversation sooner rather than later, because we are eventually approaching the end of his contract with the Blue Jays. His contract is up at the end of this season, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves and start talking about the offseason, but with the way Ross Stripling is pitching, and how important he's been to this club, in whatever position he's in, I mean, he's demonstrated that he can transition from the bullpen to rotation to bullpen with zero hiccups whatsoever and he can sub in one day as a spot starter and be just as dominant as he would be if he was in the rotation the entire season and that's an incredible asset for any team to have let alone a team like the Blue Jays that has a little bit of volatility unsteadiness in the rotation and the bullpen Um, all that being said should the Blue Jays make a qualifying offer or make a real effort to extend Ross Stripling. Because his performance this season has been impressive. He's been very important to this team um, on and off the field. We see him as a leader in the clubhouse. He was one of the first guys that the media went to for a quote about Charlie Montoyo being fired. He is the Blue Jays' representative for the MLBPA when it came to labor negotiations. He was very much involved in that. Um 
he's an important guy to this team on and off the field. Should the Blue Jays make the qualifying offer to him? 1,000%. Interesting. Mic drop. Absolutely, you need to extend this guy. And at the end of the day, worst case... I I think it's two different conversations because extension, like we don't know the terms of that, but qualifying offer would be one year, $20 million. Okay, you should at least have him beyond the 2022 season. You need Ross Stripling because at the end of the day, this guy gives you the flexibility of, I mean... Going into this season, we expected him to do what he did at the start, bullpen, maybe spot spot start here and there. But you're without Hyunjin Ryu next season. You need another starter. Maybe that's Nate Pearson. I have no idea at this point, unfortunately. But you are now at the point where Ross Stripling's role has become a lot more valuable. And maybe if you're Ross Stripling, you're saying, well, I want a little bit more money, which is a fair argument. But... If you're the Blue Jays, you absolutely need to go and and have this guy on your roster beyond 2022. Not only is he valuable and and or flexible, but he's just valuable straight up. Like he's giving you a lot of very good quality innings. And even if it's it is only four and two thirds or four and a third, if that's his worst, I'll take that over a bullpen day or any other type of starting pitcher any day. And if you're the Blue Jays, think of it think of it in like a playoff situation. I think it was Francisco Liriano, maybe 2016, where he was brought in. He was a starter for like that last two months of the season, but then he just kind of came in and threw two or three innings out of the bullpen if he needed to. I think he threw it the the second win against the Rangers, the wild card game, etc. And I'm, that's I think what the Blue Jays really could benefit from is having that guy that is able to throw you quality innings if you need to, maybe throw four or five or six innings, but you can call on him on any time and he'll just give you good innings no matter what and if you're the this team you're Russ Atkins I think this is a number one priority and yeah for most people for most Blue Jay fans and even for most baseball fans in general this isn't the most flashy name but Russ Stripling is a guy that helps you win ball games and if you do not extend him it's not the end of the world but you're going to need to absolutely go out and get somebody that can replace him and it's kind of difficult to replace a, a reliever slash starter who can throw up no matter what you need, no matter what situation you can just throw up zeros. So you're pro extension. Are you pro qualifying offer? I am pro whatever the Blue Jays want to do as long as he is here beyond this season. I am pro extension, but I am not pro qualifying offer. I just, I have a hard time giving as much as, again, he's been very good. He's been one of their best pitchers. For somebody who has the ability to go back and forth between the bullpen and starting or being a starting pitcher, I have a hard time giving that or pretty much somebody like him, with all due respect, I think, what is it, $18 million or whatever the heck the number is going to be this winter. So for me, that's where I have a hard time committing to that. Of course, if you look at the downside of that, if he turns that down or whatever, you get a prospect out of it. I guess that's, you know, that's a good kind of. Safety valve, that's a good part about the qualifying offer, despite whatever some people may think of it, of kind of being a manipulative system or not. But, um, you know, you also kind of have a feeling that he would accept the qualifying offer too for that much money through one year. I think as much as he's going to be getting a raise no matter what this offseason, I believe this year he's making $3.79 million. That's a pretty big raise compared to what he was making this year. So if you can find out or work on an extension with him on that, I think... That is obviously a better decision, giving him a qualifying offer for one year, as much as it's only one year, that does put a lot of money on him throughout the budget or the payroll for one year. And, you know, that 
could lead to some ramifications or kind of not being as flexible as you wanted it to be. So as much as we all love Ross Stripling, and of course I do, I just have a hard time committing um, a qualifying offer worth that much money despite what he's making this season. I don't think he is worth $18 million for one season. I am also pro-extension. Qualifying offer, I think, is tricky. I'm not as adamantly no as you are, but I also am not confident that he would accept the qualifying offer because he's hitting free agency. I think this is the first time in his career that he will have hit the open market. I think he came up either 2016 or 2017 with the Dodgers. I'm not sure he says no because he's 32 years old. This might be the only big payday of his career. He can either take one year guaranteed $20 million, or another team might give him, you know, outside of extension talks, another team might give him, I don't know, what would you pay for someone like Ross Stripling on the open market? Maybe kind of like a Yusei Kikuchi type deal, maybe the three years, $36 million, maybe Steven Matz type deal, four years, $40 million market range I think that's what he would get on the open market and I think even though it's a lower average annual value because he's 32 years old because he's in this kind of awkward bullpen starting rotation situation and because he's never hit the open market before I think he might pass on the qualifying offer even if the Blue Jays do extend it to them and instead say I want the guaranteed money I want to ensure that not only for the rest of my life I have enough money to support my family but for generations to come So that complicates it because then even if the Blue Jays shouldn't give him the offer based on stats alone, maybe they should give him the offer because then he would reject it and they get the draft pick. So it's a difficult conversation in the case that he doesn't accept it. But the one thing I will say about the option and, and the Blue Jays giving him the qualifying offer, I lean towards no, Not because he's been ineffective for the Blue Jays, but because I think when we look at his numbers, his ERA is a little bit deceiving. And what I mean by that is that he doesn't pitch third time through the order. He pitches two times through the lineup and that's it. And I think it's by design that the Blue Jays do that. They do it on purpose, obviously, because they don't think he can face the lineup third time through the order. And we've seen it a couple times this season where it's really come back to bite them in the butt when he's going longer and he's had some blow-ups and, you know, not big blow-ups in the grand scheme of things, but worse starts than otherwise. And I think his ERA is a little bit deceiving. So just going back through his game logs this year, only three of his 23 appearances, obviously that includes some outings out of the bullpen, but only three appearances, he's gone more than five innings. That was six innings twice and then seven innings once on July 13th. Um, right before the trade deadline against the Philadelphia Phillies. So that's the reason why I'm a little bit hesitant about this, because yes, he's good, but I think when you look at the fact that he's a starter with a 3.13 ERA or whatever it is, you can't take that at face value because he doesn't have the same amount of innings pitched as other starters would have. So that's why I lean a little bit more towards no, But again, I think he might reject the qualifying offer if the Blue Jays give it to him. So then maybe, yes, you should extend the qualifying offer to him. So then you get the draft pick. I don't know. It's a fun conversation to have, though, even though it is a couple months away. That is actually an interesting little loophole that you've mentioned there that, like, 
you can extend him that qualifying offer, he could easily reject it, and that could be by design. But for somebody like Ross Stripling, I think if you're in that competitive window, he makes this team a thousand times better than if he's not on this team. And yeah, obviously you can go out and get other guys who can start, who can pitch out of the bullpen, but he is, I think... He he's not the key to winning the World Series, not not the key to making the playoffs, but he's the type of guy that when you rely on him, he will be there and he will help that team win. If you're the Blue Jays, I think you maybe what you guys brought up, maybe extending the qualifying offer isn't the greatest idea just because you, of all the things you mentioned, but somehow keeping him on this roster, I think is is one thing that this team needs to absolutely not only consider but make a priority because. Where else are you going to get somebody that is not only able to pitch, reliever, starter, whatever, but is also willing to do it? The one thing I'll leave it with or with you guys, of course, lots of time before maybe my opinion changes or not. Perhaps it does. I think there's a pretty good chance on that one. But the one thing is, is that it is good content to have for this upcoming winter. I'm glad that we are going to be able to talk about that rather than labor stuff throughout the winter. So with Ross Stripling, contract, qualifying offer... At least that's something to look forward to with this podcast after the season ends. Yes, we are looking forward to a somewhat regular offseason for the Blue Jays <laughs> and for every single team in Major League Baseball. And hopefully a shorter offseason than normal. Hopefully the Blue Jays make it deep into the playoffs. Um, speaking of the offseason, this offseason, the Blue Jays are going to be making, making big changes to the Rogers Center, we know they have announced their Phase 1 renovations, starting with the outfield at the 100 level, the 200 level, and the 500 level. The biggest changes are adding more social spaces, so they're adding kind of a party deck at the 500 level, getting rid of the corner of seats right next to the video board. They are adding extra social spaces on the 100 and 200 levels, and they're also elevating the bullpens bringing the fans right up to the edge of the outfield wall as opposed to kind of that awkward abyss that exists now between the outfield wall and the start of the bleachers. Um, I think these renovations went over extremely well with all fans, all three of us included. The mock-ups of what the Rogers Center would look like, the renderings, look incredible. Um, it, I, And I can't believe this is being done for next season. For first opening day, first pitch, 2023, we are going to be sitting in a ballpark with these renovations in place. And to me, that is just the most exciting part of all of this. Because, I mean, it's a construction project. What do you expect? I feel like there's always delays, and it's always going to be years and years and years until you actually see the results. And, you know, I live in Ottawa, and uh, anyone who lives in Ottawa is very familiar with the LRT and the delays and the train wreck that that's been, pun intended, literally. Um... But the Rogers Center going to be renovated for next season. These renovations look incredible, and this is only phase one. I'm so excited. Oh, I think it looks absolutely ridiculously amazing. Like it, if you go to the 500s, it like I've actually I think I've actually I don't even think I've ever been to the 500s, but that's what? definitely an just subtle flex. Okay, well, only like, 100 so level tickets. <laughs> wow, no, I didn't know we were recording with a high, ro- uh, high roller here. <laughs> no, I'm not I've surprised, been, Mark. Like, no, it's just like I've just I don't know. Anyways, I want to go to the 500s. I I do want to go there like tomorrow if I could. But it's not like a tropical this, location. <laughs> it's like it's just it's a cool place to see. I've never I've never like I've been up there physically. I've just never watched a game. But that back area that definitely looks really cool. Uh, just to stand there and watch a game. But 
even the outfield, just like the 100 or 200 levels, being able to chirp the opposing bullpen or cheer on the 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 team's bullpen, it just looks so much cooler in my opinion. And I think, however many episodes it was, we were talking about how the outfield was going to not necessarily be as symmetrical as it is now. I think it all just looks really cool, honestly. It Maybe it's just because it's new, but I think that if you're... Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins, you're not necessarily looking to tear down the Rogers Center. You're looking to improve it, at least in the short to midterm future. This is the right move, and it will be, I think, maybe as drastic as the maybe the 2016 offseason, whereas they just completely redid the whole infield, and it will look very, very good, I think, on opening day. And I'll be honest, I'll probably be somewhere in the 500s or at least the at least the outfield again to see that that whole renovated area. Yeah, it, it looks flat out amazing through, I guess, the fact that it, it is going to be in a couple different phases. I do, the the one thing that from, I'm trying to remember as much as we can because I know we had an episode where we spoke about renovations when they, it, not when they revealed what it was going to look like, but when they announced that they were planning to do it. And that was months ago. That was probably, it was at some point last season when we were talking about, I guess, on our wish list ideally what we would want and I think the one highlight that is going to happen and it's kind of the cost of making it happen in order to make the ballpark better is that they are taking away some seats or lowering the capacity in some sort of fashion I remember this was something that we all discussed about it because you don't need necessarily to have 50,000 seats there and I think they are taking away about I think Mark Shapiro said it was around maybe 5,000 or maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah, He wasn't sure what the exact number would be, but it sounded like it was going down about 5,000. And if that's in order to make the experience a lot better, like, like, um, of course, the patios and everything they were showing in the 500s and just in the outfield in general, then I'm all for it in terms of that. And, of course, we know that I believe this winter also is going to be where they replace all the 500-level seating other than when they're adding all the patios and everything. And, of course, the elevated bullpens, I think that's something that's going to be really cool, too. And I'm a fan that they are getting rid of that abyss and that there's going to be, I guess, just the outfield in general is going to be more just closer to the field in general. And then, of course, the next offseason or the next offseason season is when they replace all the 100-level seats. And the one thing that they also mentioned, which I don't think any of us even knew and definitely they didn't know on the broadcast, was that it is second in foul territory behind Oakland, which is pretty insane when you think about it on that one. So... You bring the seats closer to that. You take away some foul territory on that. You get new seats, probably more comfortable seats that aren't all, I guess, aren't all squeezed together. And then uh, you just get brand new seats and you get seats that are actually facing home plate, which is cool on that one. So they're making it the, the whole idea, obviously, is to make it more like a ballpark because it wasn't built like one originally when it opened. You understand that baseball is pretty much the only thing that goes out of Rogers Center now besides concerts and maybe a few other things. So while you can, and in terms of the, the lifespan that Rogers Center does have left, that you're ext- extending from it, you get to make it more like a ballpark. And of course, we know that new ballpark in terms of, I guess, just moving on from Rogers Center is something that they still are envisioning, but it has obviously been kicked down the road probably at least a decade. So this, of course, and it's a, there's a lot of money going into this project. I believe it's $300 million. So this is definitely extending the lifespan for a long time and if you're going to make it look like a ballpark throughout that course just make it more I guess ballpark friendly getting rid of a few things changing some things up I'm all for it I think everyone for the most part like you were mentioning Mark really I guess loved or liked the idea what they were showing in terms of the models and everything like that and the fact that they're going to 
be doing this over the course of two off seasons is pretty remarkable too. And hopefully, you were talking about it in terms of the Ross stripping thing of a shorter off season. Potentially, they could be starting this thing best case scenario in November and having to get this thing ready for April. So. They're going to have a lot of work to do this winter, and hopefully that, you know, just for, I guess, our perspective, hopefully they do have a short window to do it because we want to see baseball as much as we can and, of course, the playoff push and all that. So it's going to look good next year. It's going to look good the year after that, and it's going to look good throughout the next lifespan that they are in terms of extending the lifespan of Rogers Center. I think that's the most fascinating part of all this, what this means for the lifespan of the Rogers Center because, like, this is not a small project. Like, Jacob, you mentioned replacing the infield. That was a relatively small project. We, we didn't get an announced price tag on that, but I imagine it was a fairly cheap thing to do. They're investing $300 million in phase one. There are two more phases to this project. And by the sounds of it, the two additional phases, I don't think we really know what phase three is going to be, but at least phase two is the at least the same scale as phase one, if not bigger. So that means, let's assume phase three is the same price tag. You're investing $900 million into this renovation project. You compare the cost of a new ballpark. Globe Life Field, I think, is the most recent example we have. The price tag on that was $1.2 billion. Compared to $900 million for renovations. So I think, just from the price tag alone, we can assume that the Blue Jays are committing to playing at the Rogers Center and calling the Rogers Center home for, I want to say, at least two more decades because they're investing the amount of money it would cost to build a whole new ballpark into renovation. So to me, that signals a lot of commitment for years to come in the ballpark. It's definitely a, it's a fair perspective. I think at this point, the one thing you need to consider on top of improving the ballpark is where else would you build a new one? And That's a big at thing. This, yeah, that's the, that's the other big issue. And honestly, I'm fine with the Rogers Center. I know a lot of people have said, let's build a new one. Let's f- relocate, whatever. But I don't really see an issue with it, especially if you're renovating it. Yes, eventually it gets old. But at the same time, Fenway Park has been around forever. And uh, that's a completely different ballpark. I'm not going to sit here and compare <laughs> the Rogers Center to Fenway Park. But I don't think that just because something is considered old, you need to go and completely change it. If you're able to make the Rogers Center look good, you're able to make it a fun place to play, fun place to be as a fan. I think you absolutely just you leave it as it is and you you make your improvements. And at this point, if you're able to sit here, like if they're there for the rest of the competitive window, you have to consider that to be a win. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's going to make it a lot more friendly in terms of that. It's extending the lifespan of it. Um, I'm fine with it. I like the. I think the location also is a really cool spot for Rogers Center too for that so it's definitely a lot of money they're putting into it and yeah you made a good point about it Mark is that this is only phase one that they announced from it so whatever the next or that third phase is we don't know about but of course they're still I think they're still doing it over this course of two off seasons I'm pretty sure either way like they are essentially really when you think about it they are pretty much completely changing the entire outfield the bullpens and I mentioned it, you mentioned it, the seating is in terms of the 500 level and the 100 level are being absolutely ripped apart and being replaced. So in certain aspects, you're getting new things. Like it, it just feels like it's almost in a way like a new ballpark because of how different it will look and how new things will be. So, you know, it, it is a good question about that. Maybe that new ballpark thing in general has really pushed it back a few decades because we know that this was something that was kind of 
under the wraps before COVID happened and something that they were planning. And of course, probably some setbacks from that. And that is why it will, um, it's been kicked down the road at like you were talking about it probably at least a decade. I think that's a fair assessment. And they're even talking about it during co or I guess just the impacts of COVID throughout this phase is that you have, you know, lots of uh, shortages and it's, you know, lots of delays. And I think that's another thing why the renovations have taken so long to kind of announce. And maybe that's also a reason why they're doing this over the course of two off seasons, because you can only do so much this off season from what you have. And then of course, next off season, you're going to do even more from that one. So it's going to look really good in April, 2023, but when, from what you have left this year, Again, hopefully this starts in November because of all the, the World Series hype that's around this team right now. And I think that's something that we're all looking forward to throughout the rest of this season, into the off season, And of course, to finally experience it on opening day in 2023 is going to be really exciting. Final thought on the Rogers Center. Um, this fact always surprises me when I hear it, but the Rogers Center is actually the seventh oldest ballpark in baseball. And now that we've seen these renovations and what's happening and the Blue Jays' commitment to the ballpark... Um, I think we may see it become the fifth oldest ballpark in baseball when all is said and done because I think there was rumblings at some point that Kauffman Stadium was on its way out, that the Royals wanted a new ballpark. Maybe I made that up. I'm not sure. Um, and then um, Oakland Coliseum is also older than the Rogers Center, and we all know what's going on there. So regardless, I think the Rogers Center is going to climb a few spots up the rankings when all is said and done, which... Again, always surprises me how old it is. But um, wrapping up this episode, two games against the Tampa Bay Rays, series predictions. Honestly, I think it's a bit of a wild card right now because you're going to this this series. It's going to be interesting. You got Kevin Gosman, game one. We'll see game two. They have, it looks like Yusei Kikuchi. I don't know. I think the Rays are a little bit of a odd team. I think he realistically you're probably going to split i think that's the safe bet at best you you sweep but i don't think there's they're getting swept in this series but to be concrete i'll say they split this series the last time they went on a road trip like this you guys remember how bad it went in terms of going one and nine or whatever the heck it was it was a disaster and we know what happened to the fan base and i don't want to go through that again so that's why i'm worried and the fact that they're starting in Tropicana Field gets me a little bit even more nervous for that, for that. So I think a split's fair. I think a split is all I want. I'm not expecting them to sweep Tampa because it's Tropicana Field, because it's the Rays. Get a, get out of there with a split before you head to Minnesota. I'm fine with that. I agree with you on this one, Jacob. I'm taking a split. They're going to sweep. They're going to win both the games. The boys are hot and nothing is stopping them. They are not facing... Shane McClanahan, he started today against the um, Cleveland Guardians in a 5-3 loss for the Rays. The Rays are 3-7 in their last 10. The Jays are 8-2 their last 10. They're 12-3 since that terrible road trip. The boys are hot. Nothing is stopping them right now. They are beating the Rays in both games. Let's see. Let's, uh, hopefully it happens. I, I hope I'm right. Um, okay. Um, two games against the Rays. As always, we will catch you next time. And it's not going to be after the next series. It's going to be on Tuesday. As soon as the trade deadline wraps up, we're going to be coming back on here and giving you our immediate thoughts about what goes on. Whatever it may be, Frankie Montas, Juan Soto, Scott Barlow, Gregory Soto, who knows who is going to be a Blue Jay in two days' time. But as always, we're looking forward to it, and we will catch you then. <laughs>